Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, November 11th. 2022. This is Shannon, and Sarah is here with me. We also have something we don't usually have here, which is a guest. If you have been listening to the show for any period of time, you may have heard me mention a friend of mine named Robin, and she is here with us tonight to chat about queer romance. So, We have 12 fantastic queer romances to recommend for you this evening. Sarah is going to start us off, followed by me, and lastly, Robin. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. I have literally been looking forward to this episode. I don't even I can't I don't even know. I'm so excited to get to be a part of this. And I was kind of prepping for it last week and rereading a couple of the books that I wanted to talk about. And I just like every single one, I was like, oh, this is my favorite. And then I read another one and I was like, oh, this is my favorite. Like this has been like, this has been one of the funnest episodes I've ever prepped for. So my first book tonight that I'm going to talk about is one of my, well, I'm going to say this about every book (laughs) that I'm talking about, but it's one of my favorites by an author that I really, really enjoy reading. The book is called Braving His Past Away from Keyboard Number Eight, and it's by Patricia D. Eddy. This book is about a man named Graham Peck and Graham was in the Coast Guard and a few years before the opening of the story he was at a bar with some of his fellow people in the Coast Guard for New Year's Eve and he shared an innocent quick kiss with a bouncer at the bar who happened to also be a man And he was leaving the bar a little bit ahead of some of the people he went with and was attacked in an alley by people who were offended by the fact that he shared a kiss with another man. And he was assaulted and beaten. And basically because of that, um, ended up leaving the Coast Guard and really felt lost and disconnected until he found a really fantastic group of soldiers who are all the other characters in this Away From Keyboard series. And they have a company 
and they invited him to be a part of it. And they obviously didn't care who he loved as long as he did his job, which obviously he did quite well. So the other main character in this book is named Quentin Silver. And Quint is really struggling. He can't leave his home. He can't even walk down his front steps. He had a very violent ex. And, well, the ex wasn't really, no. Take that line out. So his previous boyfriend was not a good person. And Quentin ended up being injured quite severely. And so he is hiding from his ex in Seattle. And one night, Graham is walking down the road and he hears a voice calling, could you help me? And it's Quentin. And he is like, he can't leave his house and he got groceries delivered and they threw all his groceries on the ground. So his ice cream is melting. His eggs have been broken. And what he really needs is his medication. And Graham at first is kind of like, okay, there's a guy like asking me questions and it kind of made him uncomfortable. But then he realized that there was no way that Q was going to hurt him. And so they strike up a slow growing friendship and both of them realize that it's so much more than that. But there are a lot of factors involved in their growing relationship. Both of them have a lot of baggage from their pasts and Quentin has a stalker. And so even with all of these situations, can these two battered, amazing, wonderful men find their happily ever after? I highly recommend this book. It is Braving His Past by Patricia D. Eddy, away from keyboard number eight. This is a series. These books can all be read as standalones. I don't recommend that because you see a lot of characters from previous books, but they don't give spoilers that are like so much that you couldn't read previous books. So you could pick up this book and not have to read any of the others. Really, really good book. I think Mika has read not this series, but one of her, her other series, her shifter series. Yes. Yes. So is Stacy. Yeah. It's really, it's so good. It's a really good, I, I love this. I love this author. She writes a lot, um, a lot of characters with disabilities and it's very positive disability representation. Um, there is a lot about mental health, post-traumatic stress disorder, physical disabilities. And I think the author does a really lovely job for the most part of getting a lot of things right and not making people like superhuman or inspiration porn. All right. So my first pick tonight is a historical. So if you're looking for something that'll kind of give you like the the Bridgerton feel, um, this series is perhaps a, a good comp for that. So this is The Perks of Loving a Wallflower. It's The Wild Winchesters, book two by Erica Ridley. I have never read an Erica Ridley book before this. And now I kind of wonder what, um, you know, what stood in my way. But this is the second book in a series about a family. Now they are 
an unconventional kind of found family. There are six children who were adopted by a baron and taught all of these very specific skills to help them like right wrongs. So if you think about like the social justice movement that goes on now, this is sort of social justice, like Regency style. Um, this is set in 1817. And our one of our heroines is Thomasina. She is a master of disguise. She can be anybody she wants. It doesn't matter if she's like dressing up as this really old man or a very fancy um, man about town. She can pretty much disguise herself as anyone and no one will know that it's a disguise. And that is kind of her role in the family. She's always dressing up and gathering information that she then brings back to her siblings. And so she has sort of infiltrated this circle of blue stocking women. And while she's attending one of their meetings, she hears about a military cipher that one of these women has kind of uncovered and has thought about ways in which this could have been helpful like during the Napoleonic Wars. And her uncle apparently also thought that this was a phenomenal idea and claimed it as his own. And so now he is about to be recognized by the Prince Regent and his niece is thinking that this is like highly, highly unfair because this was her cipher that she, you know, kind of explained to him and now he's taking the credit. So Tommy decides that this is something that her family needs to get in on and try to bring, you know, try to keep it from happening. Now, Philippa York is our other heroine and she is the leader of this reading circle. And she lives with her very overbearing parent. They want her to make the perfect match. It has to be someone who will eventually be in parliament. It would be much better if it was someone with a title. But Philippa is just not interested in any of that. She doesn't really know why, but she just doesn't shouldn't find the idea of marriage appealing. And so in, you know, 1817, this is not at all acceptable. Now, eventually, Tommy and Philippa kind of join forces and they begin working together to bring justice to this fellow member of this circle. But along the way, Tommy has to let Philippa in on some secrets, namely that, you know, she's not this 90 year old woman that she's pretending <laughs> to be. Um, and that disguises are you know, just like a big part of who she is. I can't say too much more without giving you some spoilers, which would be very bad. But what I will say is that I loved this for so many reasons. First of all, it is just a phenomenal female-female romance. And you don't see too many of those um, no. in, his, in historical romance. Like, you, you just don't. I also love that Tommy is what we would call now non-binary. And it, obviously, those terms, like that term is not used in the book. But 
Tommy does a great job kind of explaining it and making it very clear that even though that term isn't used, like the concept definitely still exists. This was a lot of fun. If you like heist novels, if you want to see people like working together to solve a problem in some unconventional ways, using disguises, using something called a homing kitten, um, which oh. I would kind of like to have. <laughs> um, this, this was just a ton of fun. The first book in this series is called The Duke Heist. Um, then we have The Perks of Loving a Wallflower. The third one, which came out earlier this year, is Nobody's Princess. I am super excited to read the ones that I haven't read yet. And hopefully the next three in the series um, will be coming out before too long. So this, once again, is The Perks of Loving a Wallflower, Wild Winchesters, book two by Erica Ridley. That sounds good, Shannon. I'll have to check it out. Yes, with the magnificent Moira Quirk as narrator. Oh, she's so good. She's an amazing, oh, I love her. So now we're going to go from 1817 to 1948. We're going to New York. Ooh, a good the place to go. The book is called The Companion by E.E. E. Ottoman. And I only realized Shannon asked me last week if I would do this episode. And I only thought of The Companion yesterday, which is really sad because I love this book so much. So. Madeline Slaughter has been trying to break into the literary scene in New York City, and she's been working this terrible job at a drugstore with a boss who's really mean to her, and she can't cook her own meals because she can't afford to live in a place in the kitchen, and she's just wiped out. So a friend connects her with a reclusive best-selling novelist named Victor Hallowell. Victor lives in upstate New York on a farm and he apparently wants a live-in companion because he's busy writing his novels and is lonely. So Madeline packs up her stuff and goes out there and starts to find some peace. It's quiet, she can cook, there's fresh food, and Audrey Coffin lives on the farm next door. And Audrey does all kinds of scavenging in the woods and she grows her own fruits and vegetables and makes her own preserves. And Madeline and Audrey strike up a friendship, as do Madeline and Victor. Only everybody is attracted to everybody. And on her second day there, Madeline asks Victor for a kiss because she has never been kissed. And Victor kisses her and they love it. And he says she can have more if she wants it. And the next day, she's at Audrey's place. And they realize that they have a spark. 
Victor and Audrey are ex-lovers. So it all gets a little complicated. And I can't really tell you a lot more without giving away this book. It's a very gentle book, a very quiet book. It's lots and lots of character development. And the truly unique thing is that Madeline and Audrey are trans women, transgender women, and Victor is a transgender man. And I have to presume that the mutual friend who connected Madeline and Victor is also trans. Because there's a lot of conversation in the book about people being there for each other and people supporting each other. And what really struck me about this book being set in rural New York in 1948 was that we hear stories, whether they're fictional or non-fiction, about the recluse out in the middle of nowhere, the recluse we never see in town, or the person who has a family member that they never see, who's quote unquote, a little weird. And I just wonder how many of those were transgender or somehow or other, otherwise, non, pardon me, otherwise gender non-conforming. And when people write fiction books like this, The Companion, it really sheds a light on a piece of history that I very much believe is real. I kind of know in my bones is real. And it's just a really, really beautiful thing. And I kind of want to go live on a farm somewhere and have some found family and do all that lovely stuff. So if you love gentle books, if you love books about people finding themselves and finding romance, definitely pick up The Companion by E.E. E. Ottoman. That sounds so never great. Read. I have never read anything by this author. I own everything by E.E. E. Ottoman. <laughs> ah. I, I, I'm sorry, but I feel like every book I'm going to say is my favorite book I'm talking about tonight or that I was excited <laughs> to, to reread for this episode. And in fact, I had a hard time picking four because I've read so many good ones. But I feel like you cannot talk about queer romance without talking about the amazing Talia Hibbert. And it's true. Yes. And so tonight we are going to talk about Work For It by Talia Hibbert. And this is the story of Griff, who lives in a small village and truly prefers plants to people. Doesn't really like people that much. He's kind of quiet and on his own, kind of reserved. He's a big giant of a person. I mean, that's the description. Small giant? <laughs> yes, that's how they describe him as a big giant. And he is just, I'm sorry, but one of the sweetest characters I've read about. Then we meet Keens. That is his kind of public name that he gives to everybody that he's not super close to. Um, the name that his family, and it's part of his long hyphenated, fancy, highfalutin last name. And he 
is in London, but really goes all over the all over the globe. And his name that his very close to him family calls him is Olu. But for most of this book conversation, we're going to refer to him as Keynes. So Keynes is having a rough year. Um, I'm not going to explain exactly what happens because it's not talked about in the very beginning of the book. So I don't want to give away parts of it because you don't know in the beginning why he acts the way he does. But Keynes had something very upsetting happen to him that really kind of knocked him off his stride, knocked him out of his game, has really just kind of tilted his world on his axis. And he's trying to kind of, in his Keynes way, kind of regain his footing. And he sees as he's looking for places to go hide away, but he won't leave the country because his sister is pregnant and he doesn't want to be far away from her. And he sees this little village where they harvest, where they harvest elderflowers and they make cordial. And he's like, Oh, how provincial. I think I want to go hide out on this elderflower farm and pick elderflowers and taste cordial. So Keynes, who is strikingly beautiful, very, very beautiful, and very, very closed off, leaves his life in London and goes to this small village. And who should he run into in the one and only pub in this village on his first night there? But Griff. And they exchange some heated looks across the pub and end up going outside to an alley where they have a quick tussle, romantic tussle, that doesn't end so well. And oh. no, it's very sad, and I won't explain why. And they both kind of like leave, and it's very like disgruntling and upsetting. But then Keynes goes to the farm the next day, only to realize that the person who basically handles the harvest of the elderflowers and all of the, the dealings, the day-to-day running of the farm is none other than Griff. And Griff is so drawn to Keynes with his beauty and his glimpses of vulnerability. But Keynes is a very tough nut to crack. And, you know, sometimes Griff is like, I don't know if it's worth it, but there's just something about him and I just can't turn away. And so these two in a, again, one of my favorite types of romances in a slow burn romance come together and begin to desire to be with each other all the time. And Keynes has such thick walls and Griff is just this big, gentle, kind, quiet person. And just the blossoming of this romance makes my whole life. Um, I also have to say that I love, there is a friendship in the book. Um, Griff has a very devoted best friend and I love the Griff and best friend chapters in this book. It makes me incredibly happy. This book makes me incredibly happy. I don't want to say too much more because I don't want to give away like why Keynes has walls or Griff's backstory and why he's kind of a loner in this village, 
but they're just two of the most beautiful people. So if you love Talia Hibbard, like I do, I would highly recommend that you pick up work for it. Men Like Us, book four by Talia Hibbert. <sighs> Do you love it, Robin? I love it. It's so I good. I love it very much. I, when I finished it, I, I reread parts of it for days afterwards. There are some really beautiful parts. There really are. It's, it's very sweet, but silly and, and funny at the same time. My next book is a contemporary romance by the incomparable Alyssa Cole. This is How to Find a Princess, Runaway Royals, book two. This is a spinoff from her Reluctant Royals series, which starts with A Princess in Theory. So this is the story of Makita Hicks, who has just lost her job and her girlfriend. So life is not going well for her. And she's working now kind of under duress at her grandmother's like bed and breakfast kind of small hotel. And she's trying to kind of stay out of her grandma's way because her grandma is just like one of those people that's always like living in the past and rehashing these wild adventures that she swears that she has, one of which involves her running off with a prince. And Nikita is just like, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the mood for this. I don't like this. I've heard all these stories before. This is no good. Then someone comes to the hotel looking for her. And she's, she's not sure why. She's not sure who this is. But she just wants this person to go away. They're asking too many questions and they're just being very intrusive. But the grandmother is very happy to see this person because this woman whose name is Besnaria has a link to this prince that supposedly the grandmother like ran off with years ago. Besnaria works for this federation of monarchies And she has been tasked with finding the heir to a fictional European country. Now, Makita is not at all interested, even though Besnaria has reason to believe that she is this heir. And that actually this story that the grandmother always tells, like maybe could be true. But Makita's just like, no, like this is the kind of thing like people send you emails about and there's there's scams. Like this is nonsense. <laughs> but she and Besnaria kind of have this like war of words. There's tons of witty banter here. And it soon becomes clear that if Makita agrees to visit this country and prove once and for all that she is not the air that you know her life is going to be a lot better and by chance like if she is the air then maybe her life will be better in in some more sort of concrete ways so she reluctantly agrees that she will travel with Besnaria and put this whole thing to rest once and for all she figures but of course this is a romance like a romance novel a romance episode so we know right? That the things that you plan like, rarely happen. 
the way you, you intend them to. And that is exactly how it goes for these two. This was a remarkable, remarkable book, partly for just its slow like character building where you, you know bits and pieces about these women and about their families, but slowly it unfurls until by the time you're like three quarters of the way through the book, you really feel like you know these people and that you have known them for quite a long time. Cole does a remarkable job of building these people, making them feel like they could just like walk off the page at any moment. Um, the banter between Nikita and Besnaria is phenomenal. And I think one of my favorite things about this, um, Besnaria is just very um, like effervescent. She's, she has all these ideas. She's very, very bubbly and loud and sometimes Makita's just like oh my god like you <laughs> you are just just too much like I, I can't um but the dynamic between them is wonderful and watching that change into something that is is deeper than what they first expected um is just so much fun if you've never read anything by Alyssa Cole, I highly recommend it, both um, her historicals and her contemporaries. But if you're looking for something with two women falling in love, then you really can't go wrong with this one. It is How to Find a Princess, Runaway Royals, book two. And once again, it's by Alyssa Cole. I, I really need to read I've never read Alyssa Cole. Me either. Uh, Stacy has. And now I'm going to talk about a book by an author who I could talk about all night. But I didn't ask Shannon because I was sure she would not let me take over and do a <clears throat> Cole McCade episode. Because <laughs> I am just enamored of Cole McCade's writing and I could tell you I think I own 98% of what he's written. But tonight I will talk about Just Like This. According to the publisher synopsis, Ryan Falwell has a problem. And his name is Damon Lewis. So Ryan and Damon are teachers at Alvin Academy, which is an elite boys' school in a fictional town in one of the New England states. I don't actually remember which one off the top of my head. It's a uh, live-in school, and most of the staff live in as well. Ryan is a young white man. He is an art teacher and he teaches dance. He's not a professional dancer, but he does teach some dance and he's just super creative and he walks around wearing all this bohemian jewelry and trailing scarves and cardigans. And I, I want his wardrobe. Damon Lewis 
is the gym teacher and the football coach. He is indigenous from the Wapanag tribe. I apologize if I didn't pronounce that correctly. And he and Ryan don't really think they have anything in common, but they do have something in common. They really, really, really care about their students. Damon thinks that Ryan is keeping one of his football players from going to practice because that's what the kid has told his coach that he has to stay back in art class. Not true. So after sniping at each other and misunderstanding each other for several minutes, Ryan and Damon realize that their student has been lying to both of them. And they're worried. And that means they have to work together to figure out the problem especially since school administration will not assist them in figuring out what might be wrong with one of their students. So this means being in close proximity and they realize that they're interested in each other. And they slowly realize too that they like each other. So there is some plot here. There's definitely a little mystery. What is going on with this student and how are they going to figure out the problem and how are they going to solve it? And there's a romance and there's a lot of character development. And one of the things that I absolutely love about this book is that while it is a workplace enemies to lovers romance, it does not do what so many workplace enemies to lovers romances does. Usually you wind up with two people who don't like each other, but they're told by someone else that they have to work together. Or you end up with people who met during a mad fling, one night stand, hookup, whatever you want to call it. And then they realize the next day that they are working together somehow. The new hire or somebody's become somebody else's boss. In this case, Ryan and Damon don't like each other, but they choose to work together. They put that animosity aside because they care more about their students than they care about their own grievances, or even their own building uh, interest in each other. So this is a really fun book. The setting is realistic enough. I know these hoity-toity boarding schools do exist, but it's also got a little bit of an alternate reality feeling because I will never, ever ever be living at, working at, or attending one of these boarding schools. So there's, there's a little element of fantasy there that's been really, really fun, especially the past couple of years where we've, or at least I've really needed some of that. 
So you love enemies to lovers romance. I do. If you love really poetic, beautiful, lush writing, then definitely pick up Just Like This by Cole McCade. I have to, I, I have to get this. This sounds like exactly my book. Really? Yes. Okay. I bought this two days ago. I didn't did. know this author existed. My third book tonight is another one of my very favorites. Um, and it is actually quite shockingly in a genre that usually makes me want to rip out my hair and scream. It's oh more of a, I know it's more of a new adult situation. Oh, and yeah. there is a billionaire involved. <laughs> but don't hold it against uh, the book. Billionaires. So this book is Someday, Someday by Emma Scott. And it is such a beautiful story about a man named Max Kaufman. And Max has had a very hard life. So when he was 15, his um, father caught him with another boy and kicked him out of their home. So Max ended up living on the streets. Max became an addict. Max had to um, sell himself for drugs for a short amount of time. Um, and Max pulled himself out of this kind of situation. And he, he because of, of the kindness of somebody that he met, and he actually went, got his GED, went to college and became a nurse, like did all of this with, you know, like no family and, you know, just the support of friends that loved him. And, and he's in recovery for like the past several years. And he's now an NA sponsor and he's just really kind of pulling his life together. So he recently has moved from San Francisco to Seattle and he is working in the ER and um, staying on a friend's couch just until he can find, you know, a place and kind of get more established. And he just, the ER is getting really hard for him. Um, a very emotional, like a teenager, um, what really tipped him over a teenager came in and died. I think a teenager had OD'd, I believe. So Max is like just this beautiful, sensitive, gentle soul. And he just has the biggest kind heart. And so the doctor that he's working with in the ER says, you know, why don't you take a leave of absence from the ER? I actually know of a private nursing um, need. And I think that you would do really well interviewing for this position. So he interviews for this position with the owner of a huge pharmaceutical company, Edward Marsh. And it's like very like, you know, a very fancy estate and it very like hush hush. He had to sign like an NDA and, you know, he can't talk about it even with his friends, like who he's working for. Um, Edward Marsh is having some medical complications and needs, you know, private nurses at his home. And he is not, handling it very well because he is a blustery, impatient, angry man. And so 
so that's also hard for Max. But what is even the hardest thing for Max is his growing attraction to Silas March, Marsh, who is Edward's son. And Silas is the most beautiful, closed off person that you would ever meet. And so the issue is that in order for Silas to inherit his father's, um, like his father's seat in the company and for him to kind of be recognized and, and, and be, you know, elevated through the ranks, Silas has to kind of deny who he is and deny the love he feels for Max. And he can either choose to be, you know, to be bold and daring and claim the love that he so desperately needs, or he can continue to do his father's bidding who he's been trying to please his whole life. This book is a very emotional book. It is in some parts, very difficult to get through. Um, I can't give a lot away without giving spoilers, but um, Silas has gone through some pretty horrific things and so has Max, but Silas, it's, it's, it's horrible um, what Silas went through. Um, Silas also has an older brother who it has a diagnosis of autism. Now, some of like the autism stuff is a little stereotypy, not totally accurate, but I love this brother with my whole heart. And what I love is for a big part of the book, how he copes with the stress of living in this very, how, how the, the brother with autism copes with living in this kind of stressful home and, you know, not great environment. He, um, is obsessed with Charles Dickens and he, likes to talk like Charles Dickens or like, you know, from like, Ooh, from not great expectations. I can't think of it. My good man, but I, he talks like, I say, my dear boy, have you seen Mr. Kaufman? Is he going to join us today? I do so hope he does. Oh, I'm going to take a stroll for my constitution. Like I love Eddie, the brother. And I, he adds so much to the story. So if, if you want to read a good book and just, just so you know, I mean, to me, it was, there was some, um, heavier subject matter in it, but someday, someday by Emma Scott, it's one of the most beautiful books I've read in a long time. And I mean, for me to read about a 24 year old billionaire, which is like my biggest pet peeve has to tell you that it is a book that I just love. My next book is Romantic Suspense. This is Pretty Pretty Boys, Hazard and Somerset, book one by Gregory Ash. So when I first started reading this, I honestly did not know if I would finish because I have a really hard time with the whole like bully romance thing. Mm -hmm. And although there isn't bullying in the present of this book, um, knowing that like, that is sort of what is between the two main characters was really hard for me. So I wasn't sure how this was going to go. But ultimately, I did end up really liking it. And I even have read the second in the series. So Emery Hazard was a cop in St. Louis. And he has recently returned home to the small town where he was raised. He's working on the 
the police force there. He is like the only openly gay cop. And as far as he knows, the only gay cop like whatsoever on this force. And he's just not sure how this is going to go. Things definitely are not looking up for him when he finds out that his partner is going to be John Henry Somerset, who is like the bane of his existence when he was in high school. Um, Somerset bullied him pretty mercilessly. He had a group of friends that like ganged up on Emery on a regular basis and some pretty dark, like disturbing things happened. You don't know about these things like right away, but as the story unfolds, you see like flashbacks and you understand kind of how, how these two boys at the time related to one another. And uh, it, it was not, it was not great by any stretch of the imagination. So Hazard and Somerset are investigating the burned body that was found in town. And people are wondering, you know, all kinds of things about how this body ended up there. Obviously, you know, it's foul play. So who's responsible? And Emery is, is finding it difficult to, to focus in some ways on the case when there's so much stuff going on from his past. And he feels just an amazing amount of pressure to you know, get it right, to solve the case, to prove himself. And you know, when you're under that much pressure, like you don't, you don't always perform well. And this is something that, that he's really concerned about. For his part, Somerset really wants to make amends for the things that happened in the past. He's not fully sure how. Um, he feels like you know, some of the stuff that he did is pretty unforgivable. I would agree with that. Um, but he really is, is wanting to make it right in some way. So they're working together, kind of like what Robin was talking about um, when she was talking about the Cole McCade book, where they're kind of forced together. Um, and that does happen here. You know, they're partnered up kind of against their will. And they have to learn to put their past aside and, you know, really work together, trust each other, depend on each other. Now, all of that, you know, is, is well and good, but it soon becomes clear to the reader, if not to the characters themselves, that at least on Somerset's part, like there are some pretty deep feelings for Emery Hazard. And slowly, very slowly, Emery kind of begins to explore these feelings too. I will say that this, the mystery part of this is wrapped up very nicely at the end of book one, um, but you still have some kind of loose ends as it relates to the relationship between Hazard and Somerset. Um, as the, the second book goes on, you know, these do get cleared up, but if you're looking for something that is like nicely, wrapped up at the end of book one, where you see like you're happily ever after, definitely it ends on kind of a positive note, but it's not a nice tidy wrapped up ending. Um, I will say that there is just a lot of, a lot of deep stuff that happens for both of these men. And because of that, parts of this book are really hard to read. I found the flashbacks to be especially troubling. 
Um, still, if you're looking for something that is kind of more, you know, on the suspenseful end of romance, I would recommend this one. This is Pretty Pretty Boys, Hazard and Somerset, book one by Gregory Ash. So now we are going back in time to sometime in the 1800s. I don't actually have a year on this, but it is a historical and people do get around by horse and walking. Excellent. And we are in the quiet English seaside town of Inverley. The eldest in a family of six children, Miss Caroline Reeve has the unenviable task of shepherding her siblings into adulthood with little coin, little coin, and even less patience. (laughs) Sounds distressing. The only benefit to being an eternal chaperone is that no one ever expects her to marry. Caroline's best friend is Miss Arabella Seaton. Arabella lives with her brother and his wife. She paints fairly tame watercolor seascapes for the tourists to buy. And she loves her cats. And she also loves her best friend. But she is sure that she's never allowed to tell Caroline, because Caroline would be shocked. What Arabella doesn't know is that Caroline also loves her best friend. So we have two young women, well, no, not that young, almost 30. And neither wants to get married. And they're both interested in each other. And they don't really know what to do. So this book is written very much in the style of a Jane Austen novel. The language, the pattern, the things that happen, it's very much a comedy of manners. So it is fun. It's not necessarily great literature. It is fun. Um, All literature is great in one way or another. That is very true. (laughs) That is very true. I guess maybe where in the last book I was talking about the the lush poetic writing, and I'm not going to talk about that here. (laughs) That's fair. So as I said, a comedy of manners. So the Reeve family inherits an unexpected fortune. And Caroline must take her rightful place in high society. Fortune hunters abound. And it is up to Arabella to save her from their snares and convince her that love has been around all along. How are they going to get through this snarl of... Caroline navigating being a high society lady and trying to help her family and Arabella trying to find independence and trying to woo Caroline. 
you will just have to read The Inconvenient Heiress by Jane Walsh to find out. Yes, yes, I will. And I apologize, I did not say the title and the author at the beginning. It's okay. I, I broke the book bistro rules. I was too busy telling a story. They, they, you know, are, are flexible to, to some degree. I, I really, I, I really think my last book has to be my favorite book. I think uh-huh. I said that for every book. I want you to talk about a book you hate. I can't. <laughs> that should be I a theme. I cannot <laughs> talk about a book I hate. You must. Especially not tonight. No, I'm only talking okay, about maybe books next I love. Time. Maybe. But if I, if I hate it, I probably didn't finish it. But my next book fills my heart with ridiculous amounts of joy. It is everything for you. Bergman yes. Brothers book five. And it's by Chloe Lee. And I'm sorry. I know I sound very fangirly, but I really wish I could be her friend because she is I mean, her writing is so amazing. All of her main characters, I wish I could be their friends. Um, some of the Bergman brothers, I wish I could um, be more than friends with because they are, <laughs> they would be my book boyfriends. Um, so this is the story of Oliver Bergman. And before I tell you about this, the, the, the description is enemies to lovers, age gap sports romance, um, Oliver's 24 and Gavin is like 32. To me, that is not age gap. <laughs> I do I not see that as age it, gap. But okay. But my favorite part is the next part. It also has nosy senior citizens and nosier siblings. And it truly mm. does. I love it. So let's talk about Oliver Bergman first. Oliver Bergman is an amazing soccer player. He's young, he's sunshiny, he's beautiful. He's amazing on the team, on this professional soccer team. And he is just a rising star. He is full of sunshine and beauty and optimism. And he's nice and kind and supportive to everyone. It's Sarah in male form. It, it is kind of me. It is, it is kind of me. Maybe that's why I love him so much. Usually I don't like myself in other forms, but I love <laughs> Oliver Bergman. So Oliver Bergman has a problem. His idol from teenage years, like his idol that he may have had dirty thoughts about, joined this team two years ago, Gavin Hayes. But Gavin Hayes is such a rude and moody grump. Oh, he's so grumpy. And he won't like he he just is not just won't even deal with Oliver. And he's not sunshiny. And he doesn't get involved when the team is like dancing and singing and doing Oliver-esque things. And he glares and he grumps. But what people don't know is that he has chronic pain. And he knows that his star is is about ready to like burn out. He can't keep this up much longer with his pain level. And what people also don't know is the only way that he can not lose his mind over Oliver with his youth and his beauty and all of his promise is to just 
avoid him. But then, but then the coach makes them co-captains and they do not like this plan. (laughs) And then these two men who just happen to be neighbors sometimes have to carpool for different reasons. And, and then they find as they start spending more time together that there's so much more to both of them than meets the eye and that grumpy and sunshine can actually make such a beautiful blend. And there's a lot about this book that I'm not telling because I don't want to give things away, but I just want to say that Chloe Lee does such a beautiful job weaving in positive disability representation, chronic pain, people with autism, people with anxiety, so many, so many chronic, other chronic illness. And the way that she writes Oliver and Gavin's story, I mean, this book I have read, I just read it when it came out was in the summer and Mm -hmm. I reread it again. And it will be one that I will reread again, like pretty soon because I just love Oliver and Gavin so much and their romance and the slow burn of it. And it, Oh, it's just one of my most favorite books. So if you too maybe would like to be friends with Chloe Lee, or maybe even have one of her Bergman brothers or their women as your book crushes, you would want to read everything for you. Bergman brothers, number five. These books are not complete standalones. This one says it's a standalone, but there's a lot of family in it. You could read it and be okay if you didn't want to read the other Bergman sibling books, but I would be very disappointed if you didn't because they're so good. They're all this good. My last book tonight is one of my very favorite reads of 2022. This is Love and Other Disasters by Anita Kelly. It is a food book. It's a reality TV book. It is just so much fun in all the ways that you want a contemporary romance to be. So Delia Woodson has decided that she is finally going to pursue her dreams to become a chef. She's recently divorced and she's kind of at loose ends. So she decides that entering this TV competition called Chef Special is going to be like the best way to kind of get her name out there. So she has this grand idea of like how it's going to be to be on the show and all this delicious food she's going to make, all the like pageantry that she's going to use. But when she actually walks onto the set for the first time, it's kind of a disaster and fish tacos go sailing through the air (laughs) and it's just like a humiliating mess. Then we have yes (laughs) then we have London Parker and London is very very serious Um, they are also very um, dedicated to, to cooking but unlike Delia they have kind of like they've known about this. They've known that cooking is like a core part of who they are. And they really want the notoriety 
that winning this competition can bring them. But London is non-binary and this has caused a lot of problems for them with their family and just people that, that they know. And they're not really sure, like they kind of feel like there could be some positive things about coming out as non-binary on the show, but then what if it also like ruins the chance that they have to win and, you know, become known as the chef who won this competition. So London and Delia kind of strike up a friendship and they are opposites in every way. Like Delia is just so like happy and, and clumsy and bubbly. And London is, is not any of those things. Um, London is, you know, kind of a person who takes themselves and everything that they do very seriously. Now, eventually they do decide that they're going to let people know that they're non-binary on the show. And in some ways this goes really well in other ways, not so much, but one of the things that it does is bring London and Dahlia closer together. Um, Dahlia has her own things that she's insecure about. And in her mind, London is just so put together and polished and skilled. And so as they get to know each other, they kind of learn to look beyond, you know, the, the things that you see on the surface. And they form this really, really tight friendship that over the course of the show deepens into something more. But both London and Dahlia are going to have to face some difficult truths about themselves and their families and even just kind of the world at large if they want a chance not only to be successful as chefs, but also to form this romantic relationship that they both want, but are both kind of afraid to strive for. This book does so many things so, so well. Um, If you read Rosaline Palmer Takes the Cake by Alexis Hall, it kind of has that like a similar, a similar feel with the, you know, the, the reality TV show and the food and the, and the developing romance, but it also is not quite as, as funny in places like Rosaline Palmer, I feel like worked hard to make you laugh where love and other disasters beneath its surface and beneath all the like stuff that you would expect from like a reality show romance Um, really wants to make you think. And I loved it for that. So this is Love and Other Disasters by Anita Kelly. And if you haven't read it or haven't added it to your TBR pile, I really, really hope that you will. I love reality show cooking books. Yes. Pretty's Tale. By Harper Fox. Ah, yes. Harper Fox. Harper Fox is another author 
that I would happily have discussed for an entire episode. But I know there are things that Shannon will not allow, so I just don't ask her. It is best that way. Ah, she admits it. So I believe that this is the only paranormal book discussed on the podcast. It is. The Pretty's Tale is a book about a merman and a human. Jen Pretty, P-R-I-D, as in Delta, D-Y, known as Pretty, is a lost soul in a part of Cornwall tourists don't get to see. He's young, sweet-natured, and gorgeous, but that's not enough to help him to achieve escape velocity from his deadbeat village and rotten family life. Oh. I'm going to pause here and give a content warning both for my discussion and for the book in general. There is a lot of drug use talked about in this book, as well as the impact of the drug use. One day, Pretty is at a club with a friend and he takes some pills and winds up with a nearly deadly and deeply harmful accidental overdose. It leaves him fractured and hallucinating and with too many vital circuits fried to function in a tough world. His friend who gave him the pills feels pretty pretty, um, I'm starting that one again. His friend who gave him the pills is feeling really guilty and ends up getting pretty a winter job living in a lighthouse, basically just being there, pressing a few buttons, keeping everything clean. He doesn't have too many responsibilities. One day, a ferocious Atlantic storm washes a stranger to Pretty's lonely shore. For a shipwrecked sailor, the new arrival seems very composed. He's also handsome as hell, debonair, and completely unconcerned by Pretty's dreadful past. Pretty has almost given up on the prospect of any kind of friendship and a new boyfriend, let alone a six foot beauty with eerily good swimming skills. (laughs) But Maru seems to see undreamed of promise in pretty. And they hit the water together. 
And telling you too much more would give a lot away. So I'm going to leave it at that, except to say that Cornwall has many tales of mermaids and mermen. And you might just get to find out in Pretty's tale if some of them are true. This is a really beautiful book. Again, really lush, poetic, deeply moving writing. I love every Harper Fox book I've read. She is unflinching about the bad that the world keeps on humanity, but also unflinching with the beauty and unflinching with the fact that the badness and the beauty often go together. I is have to have it? this book in my life. Pretty's tale again. She wants all the books. Yes. I, I think that I like a lot of books that you like, Robin. I, this book sounds yes. right up my alley. And that concludes our discussion of queer romance. Thank you to Sarah and to Robin for participating tonight. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And as I often say, we would not have a podcast if no one listens to it. So thank you so very much to each and every one of you who joins us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.